Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Ken, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. Take your Bibles and open up this morning to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. And if you don't have your own Bible, that's okay. There should be a Bible in the pew in front of you. And if you're using that, it should be on page 1117. Romans chapter 2. I'm curious this morning... Just by a poll in raising your hands, how many of you would say that you see injustices in the world around you? I think every one of us would say absolutely yes. In fact, when we look around, oftentimes we see what appears to be more and more of that. And some of that may be true, however, some of that's also due to the fact of how quickly and easily we access information now, because generation after generation in different parts of the world has seen injustice, and we can even look throughout Scripture and see injustices that have taken place. But a common narrative in our day and age And at times, often even a reason that is used to try and disprove the existence of God is if God really exists, why is there so much injustice in the world? We like justice as a human people. In fact, some of you devote a lot of time to watching created television shows that revolve around this idea of justice. Or you watch movies, and some of you have been in movie theaters when the entire plotline of the film is someone who is wreaking havoc and injustice upon a certain area, a certain people group, and then near the end, all of a sudden, that person's defeated, and undoubtedly, there's at least one person in that place that will yell in the middle of it, YES! And everyone else is thinking the same thing. Justice was served. Interestingly enough, there's another common theme in our culture which takes place when a perspective is observed where someone seems to be trying to administer quote-unquote justice upon me. And a phrase that we hear a lot, some of you may already anticipate what I'm going to say, is don't what? Don't judge me. How many of you have heard that at least once in your lifetime? Most of us have. Now this morning, as we continue this series of talks, focusing on the person of God, We're going to be looking specifically as God is righteous judge and justifier. 
And I want us to pause for a moment and consider what this means. Most of us are eager for justice as long as that justice has nothing to do with what I've done wrong. Most of us are eager for justice as long as it doesn't interfere with my personal life. But what we're going to see in the pages of Scripture this morning is that there is only one true, holy, righteous judge, and we're all impacted by that, whether we realize it or not. And so if you get nothing else out of the message today, here's what I want you to get. God will bring justice. Our only hope is Jesus. God will bring justice. Our only hope is Jesus. Now, Romans chapter 2, I want to read this section of Scripture this morning. And as we do that, I'd ask you to stand with me as we read the pages of God's Word in honor of Scripture. And we're going to start in verse 1, and I'm going to read through verse 11 this morning. It says, therefore, you have no excuse, O man. Everyone say, no excuse. Every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead to repentance? Verse 5, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. Heavenly Father, as we come to this text today, Lord, I pray that you would Give us open eyes and open ears to understand a difficult text of Scripture. Lord, that we would embrace who you are, not who we've created you to be in our own minds, and that you would give us a greater understanding of how this impacts our own lives and the lives that we desire would come to faith in Jesus. Lord, bring clarity to your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Go ahead and be seated. (laughs) 
Now, as we look at this, I want to begin by bringing us into an understanding of how Paul begins this text. He's writing to a group of people in Rome who are identified as the church. He's writing to the church in Rome, those who have said, we desire to follow after Jesus. And Paul, having facilitated and been in a shepherding role, is seeking to do that and do that well. And he begins this text by highlighting an active issue within this people group. Within his fellow people, this is something that is happening. And the issue at hand is simply that those bringing about the judgment on others were themselves guilty of the same things they were judging others for. And we see that clearly in the text. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man. Every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. And he continues in this in verse 3. He says, Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things, and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? They were without excuse because they were living in the very sin nature that they were casting judgment upon. Now, some of you will be familiar with the term Pharisees, and we wouldn't be surprised by that. Pharisees were staunch practicing Jews who had the law in their hands, and by the law they sought to abide, and they were convinced everyone else needed to do the law in the same way they did the law. And Jesus spent a lot of time in his ministry kind of negating what the Pharisees had established because they talked a big talk, and yet when it came to the personal application of what they were doing, they were living in sin by trying to say we're abiding by the law. And it became very judgmental. Well, thank you that I'm I'm not like this person over here. Look at how much I've given out of what I have. And it became very self-righteous. I'm good. Everyone else is not so good. And this is a danger that exists any time a group of people gather together seeking to follow after something that's greater is easily we step into a realm where we start pointing fingers and comparing ourselves with those around us. Well, my life's not nearly as screwed up as theirs. And this is so much furthered even in today's culture simply because what do we use social media for? Media in general. You scroll through any amount of media and our culture is obsessed with what's going on in other people's lives. And either we approach that from a standpoint of going, well, how their life's going makes me feel pretty good. Or on the other side of the spectrum, man, I wish my life was more like theirs. And what we begin to see is Paul begins honing in on an aspect of human nature that we don't often stop and recognize. But more importantly, he focuses in on a characteristic of God that we bypass. Because when we really stop to think about it, this is not a fun thing to process. This is an area of scripture that people often avoid Because it is not a cushy, mushy, exciting, woo, I can't wait for eternity kind of scripture passage. 
the focus in this that you're going to see is that God will bring justice, but our only hope is Jesus. And that every one of us, in some way or another, is guilty of what Paul is speaking directly to his fellow people in Rome at this point. It's so much easier for us to see where other people are going wrong than to look internally and say, where am I at? What would justice look like if God is evaluating my life? And so as we look at this, and I'm just going to give you two points this morning to focus on. If we, when we look at this, I want you to do so under the lens of saying, I need to stop where I'm at and evaluate personally what would my life look like as an open book before a holy God, the righteous judge? What would it look like? What is there in my own life that I have not come to terms with or fully grasped the depth at which I have tainted the image of God that is therefore hindering my growth to become more like Jesus? Now, as we evaluate this, there's the first thing, and I've said this a couple times, all right, but I want you to hear it specifically. The first thing this text reveals is that God's judgment is righteous. It's righteous. Now, to be righteous is to be true. Everyone say true. It's to be unfaltering. That is, God's judgment will take place according to what actually is true. And verse 4 brings about something kind of interesting, isn't it? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? In other words, do you assume that God is so kind that he's going to bring about judgment on this person over here because their life is screwed up, but he's, you know, my stuff's way less crucial than that. What I've done is way less than what I see over here, and so... God's going to give me a break. That does not mesh with the God of the Bible. And what we see instead is that God's judgment is righteous in that, continued in verse 4, God's kindness is meant to lead you to what? Repentance. Everyone say repentance. That is a word we do not talk about enough in church. Practically speaking, repentance is simply the act of me vocalizing the reality of my sins. Rather than broadly saying, I'm a sinner. Yes, the Bible already told us that. We already know that about you. But more specifically, repentance is an act of recognizing, oh my goodness, in the light of who God is, here are the areas that I fall short. And on a daily or weekly basis, I'm evaluating going, God, I, I did not speak to my children in a way that honors you. And I, I, I repent of that. I am, I am seeking to turn from that and go the other direction. And we do not practice that. It's so crucial. Why? Because every time we step into repentance, we step into confession, we actively do that, we are admitting that in and of ourselves we are not enough. 
And this should bring even a further godly fear when we see God's judgment as righteous. Verse 5, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Now, Hebrews 4, verse 13, I'm going to put this passage up on the screen for you to see, speaks specifically to this idea that, wait, you mean nothing, nothing is hidden from God? Well, Hebrews 4 tells us that no creature is hidden from His sight. All are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom what? We must give an account. No creature is hidden from His sight. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever had an experience where you did something and you were convinced you got away with it. And I'm going to tell you a story from my own life that I actually, I, I honestly don't know if my parents have ever heard this story. <laughs> so when I was a kid, my sister was going part-time to high school. And many of you participate in this. High schools have these fundraisers, right? And usually they're selling something like candy. Some of you know where this is going. Well, I was really bad about snooping and finding stuff I wasn't supposed to when I was a kid. Like, I was completely that kid who would actually, in a sneaky way, find out what I was getting for Christmas. And I found my sister's box of candy. And, you know, it started off, I was like, one bar? They're not going to miss one bar, right? And pretty soon I turned into like one a day. You know? And then there would be these little comments that would pop up where my sister was talking with my mom and I could overhear this and she's frustrated. She's like, I don't know what's happening. I should have this much money based on what I have left and I don't have it. And I just didn't say anything. Well, then, the money my sister had made was actually stolen at school. It was stolen out of her locker. And so you know what my thought is. I'm off the hook. They don't even know how much money there was. There's no way to track it. But you know what? I felt so guilty. And I ended up, as she finished that fundraiser, I like took a $20 bill on my own money and put it in the envelope. But I never said anything about it. Now, I share that because, one, I want you to recognize that if, if for you parents, if that's your kid, don't lose hope, okay? <laughs> All right? But two, that is a scenario in which I could easily have argued from an earthly standpoint and said, I am not going to be guilty of this. I am not going to be found out. I am not going to have to pay a consequence, an earthly consequence for this action. 
Because nobody knows. And usually it is instances like that that cause us to take a view of God's judgment and discard it because we go, I did this, no one knew about it, and I'm off the hook. This whole idea about God being judge, I'm I'm just kind of laughing at this because where is my consequence? I'm living great. I'm living in my secret sin and I love it. And what this passage reveals about God's character is God will bring justice. He is the judge and nothing is hidden from his sight. Therefore, don't fool yourself into thinking that how you live when no one else is around is not seen. I often laugh when I read in the account of Genesis that after Adam and Eve sinned, what did they do? They hid. These individuals walked with God, and yet, in their sin, right away, the first thing they did is they hid. Out of their shame and their guilt, they hid. Who do you think you're hiding from? There is no winning at hide-and-seek with God. It doesn't happen. And God being righteous in His judgment means He's, He's consistent in this. He sees everything. Your hidden sin is not hidden from the only one you will absolutely, without a doubt, have to give an account to. God will bring justice. Our only hope is Jesus. Now, for God's judgment to be righteous, it also means it's going to be just. Everyone say just. It is important to note that God's judgment, being just, will be according to His, everyone say His, perfect, holy, unwavering view of what is truly just. Not man's limited, fallen, human perspective of what is just. There's a big difference between the two. And in fact, this is even... What Paul is highlighting in the first few verses of this, that when we cast eternal judgment upon someone else, it is from our own human, fallen, limited knowledge perspective that we are doing that. There is no way for you to have all of the facts. That's not a problem for God, because nothing is hidden from His sight. All of it is laid open before him. He sees all of it. Now many people look around today and they wonder, if God is a righteous judge, if his judgment is righteous, why is it that we don't see God responding to these injustices today? And I'll have you know that that thought, you're in good company Habakkuk chapter 1, he says, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. 
So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. I think there's many situations we can look at today and feel a similar feeling. And so does this mean that God somehow has turned a blind eye to injustice? How can that fit with the character of Him being a righteous, just judge? In 2 Peter chapter 3, there's a promise here, a reminder. It says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises, some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. When you parallel this with Romans chapter 2, verse 4, do you presume on the riches of His kindness and the forbearance of His patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? When you parallel that, we should see the injustices around us in a different light. We can convince ourselves that God is not good and that God is not just because of what we see. But have we considered, church, the full weight of what it would mean for God's judgment to come upon us right now? Have we stopped to consider those who we love, those who we cherish, the people we're in relationship with, who do not have any kind of relationship with Christ? And what it would mean for God to bring about His wrath and His judgment right now. And Second Peter reveals God's heart in the midst of this. God will administer judgment. He will bring about what is just. And He's not slow in doing that. He's patient because He desires that all would reach a point where they see their need for a Savior. He desires that people would see that. The patience of God should drive us to repentance, recognizing that He is the only righteous judge and that He will bring justice. And there's a hope in that too, isn't there? For those of us who have been on the receiving end of injustice, because you don't see earthly justice for your circumstance does not mean that God does not see and will not repay for what has been done. Praise the Lord for that promise. But know that it's not going to be in your timeline. Just like we talked about in God providing, it's not in your timeline and it's not according to your plan. It's according to His will in His time. But you can take His promises and trust them. He's faithful to to follow through with those. The second thing this morning that I want you to see in Romans chapter 2 is that God's judgment is unbiased. Verse 6, it says, He will render to each one according to his works. In verse 9, Paul states that it's going to be for the Jew and the Greek. This is primarily for his receiving audiences. They understand, well, yeah, the, the non-Jews, they're going to get it. But we're, we're Jews, so we're God's chosen people. We're okay. And Paul's going, uh-uh. 
God's judgment here is unbiased. And verse 11 makes it pretty clear. God shows how much partiality? None. He shows no partiality. No one gets a pass on this. God doesn't take sides. In order to be righteous, He always does what is right. He is consistent. When we stand before God, it won't matter what church you went to. It won't matter how you dressed on Sunday. It won't matter how much money you gave. What will matter is who you chose to follow. Now, in considering even those two points, it should bring us to a logical question of, is there any hope? Is there any hope in the midst of this? And even when we read verses 6 through 11, many people get stuck there because they go, this makes it seem like if I don't earn my salvation, if I don't do the work in the midst of this, then I'm going to face God's wrath. Well, this is why, church, it's so important that you not just read a small portion of Scripture, but that you look at both ends. In other words, when you encounter something like this, go back to chapter 1 and start reading. And don't stop at the place where you ended. I'm going to challenge you, read the whole letter. Don't stop until you've gotten a broad view of what's being said. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to flip the page. I want you to go over to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. And as we read in Romans chapter 2, it should bring about a grave understanding that I am... Deserving of God's judgment because I am not perfect. And if God is unbiased and He's righteous, then the just thing is that I deserve to pay a penalty. I deserve to account for and pay for the wrongs I have committed. I deserve to account for to God and pay for stealing the candy bars. Okay? And so the question becomes, is there any hope? Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 21. It says, but now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation or a substitute by His blood to be received by faith. This, listen to this, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be, what? Just and the justifier of the one who has, what? Faith 
in Jesus. Christ's sacrifice proved and affirmed that God was indeed, is indeed, a just God. That God doesn't simply make exceptions for people. He's just. If He'd simply passed over sin, letting it go without ramification, then we would have every reason to question His justice. Because now... It's just whoever God decides to let go. So to show His righteousness, He gave His only Son. By doing so, He not only remained just, but He became the one who justifies. He became the one who says, by my Son's sacrifice, you are justified. Your penalty is paid for. We cannot, this is so hard for us to get. We cannot separate God's love from His judgment. We cannot separate those two things, church. Both are part of who God is. And when we see evil in the world, and we see that that evil appears to go unpunished, It is not our job to see that full repayment of that is made. But we can take comfort in the promise that God will make all things right in His timing and in His way. The only way that will be truly righteous and just. God will bring justice, but our only hope is Jesus. The only hope that we have for standing before God and saying, I believe on our faces, saying, God, I am not worthy. Similar to Isaiah that we talked about last week. Woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. I don't deserve to be here. You're a holy God. I fear you. And it will either be my son, my daughter, You had faith. You had faith in Jesus. Your sins are atoned for. Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for you because you're in Christ Jesus. Or the response will be, Matthew 7, I I never knew you. Away from me. There's no in-between, church. There's no middle ground. Either we have faith and are justified by the one true, righteous, just God, or we don't. And no one of us can determine that for another. And that's where our first point of application comes in. Stop pronouncing eternal judgment. Share the gospel. You want a practical way to live this out? Stop pronouncing eternal judgment. We don't know. I cannot stand up here and with complete 100% affirmation point to any one of you and say, you are saved because I don't know if you've you've truly trusted your life to Christ. 
I've encountered a lot of people who went through the motions and lived good lives, but never had a personal relationship with Jesus. Where are you at with that? It's not our job. If someone comes up to you and says, you're going to hell, then that's a right place to say, who are you to judge me on that? That's actually an accurate use of that phrase. But understand there's a difference between judgment and discernment. And the Bible consistently calls us to be discerning. Trust me when I say, you want the church body and its leadership to be discerning about who gets put into leadership roles. And if someone comes up and says, well, you can't judge me, and we go, oh, well, you're all right. Come on. That's a dangerous recipe. We make discernments when we're in a relationship where we have to hire people or work alongside people. We make daily discernments about how we're going to talk with individuals or how we interact, what relationships are like. There's a difference, and I would challenge you to study and research the difference between judgment and discernment. The second thing I want to encourage you with in application is to turn the magnifying glass on your own life and strive to follow Jesus. Now, this in and of itself is a biblical concept and one I want to highlight for us as we shift into communion. Because that idea of reflection, that idea of evaluating where I'm truly at is the purpose of why we gather at the Lord's table and we take communion together is to recognize the depth of Christ's sacrifice, to understand that it is through the sacrifice of Jesus and Christ alone, through His sacrifice alone, that we have access to the grace of God. There's no other way. And so I'm going to ask the guys who were asked to help serve this morning to come on up, and the rest of you just flip to Matthew chapter 7. And this will emphasize that last point of application. Matthew chapter 7. And I'm going to start reading in verse 3. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Church, the challenge here in light of God's righteous, just judgment is to take a long, hard look at our own lives. It's not hard for us to look at the lives of someone else we know and say, oh, that person needs Jesus. That person needs to follow after Christ. It's a whole lot, lar- whole lot harder to turn that magnifying glass on our own lives and go, oh, I need Jesus. 
I desperately need a Savior. Because apart from Christ, if I stand before God in judgment, there's no hope for me. And so when we come to the communion table, this is why we emphasize that if you are not confident that your faith is rooted in Christ and in Christ alone, don't take this. Don't participate in this. But if your hope is in Jesus, then this should also not just be something we do, but should be a crucial part of our walk of faith. Because when we take communion, we're acknowledging and we're saying, I am saved only by the, the blood of Jesus. I am, this is the only way. And I understand that God's grace has been imparted to me only through Christ. And so I need to reflect upon myself and I need to evaluate, am I in right standing before God? And if you're not because you don't have faith, or if you're not because life just has got you in a spiral where you do not feel that you have reconciled with the Lord, don't take this. But consider the depth of what it would mean if I haven't made a decision to put my faith in Jesus and I leave this place today and something happens to me. We all know people that that's happened to who one day they were fine, the next day, gone. We never know. And so I would ask you in this time to evaluate So let's just stop, be silent, reflect on these truths, and consider our own lives in this moment. Father, we see in Scripture that you are the righteous judge. That you will act justly in your timing. So, Father, as we come to this table, we do so recognizing our fallenness and our desperate need of a Savior. Lord, as we partake of this together, May we do so in humility. May we do so in a way that glorifies and honors you. Lord, reveal to us any wicked way in our lives. And lead us in the way everlasting, we pray in Jesus' name.